Hello there. This is Pastors of the Roundtable, the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MNBC in Monroe, Michigan. We are here continuing our walkthrough of the Heidelberg Disputation from 2000, from 2023. This is 2023, we're recording it, but it was done in 1518 um, originally. So we are going to talk about um, a really boring topic today, um, the topic of free will. Not much. Um, boring. No one really cares about this topic um, very much, so it will probably won't have much to say. But um, Theses 13 through 15 is where Luther has talked about sin. He's talked about the fact that we are fallen in Adam and... Today, he's going to talk about the freedom of the will. Thesis 13, after the fall, free will exists only as a concept. And as long as it acts in accordance with itself, or in other words, you could say, as long as it does what it's able to do, commits a deadly sin. 14, after the fall, free will only has the power to passively do good, but it is always able to actively do evil. Number 15, further still, free will could not remain in a state of innocence, much less actively do good, but the will is only able to do good passively. So he's here talking about the freedom of our will, um, our ability to choose, determine, wish, elect, those kinds of words are what we're talking about when we're talking about will, volition. He's talking about what is... um, man's ability to choose after the fall. So guys, first of all, first question I got, why can the topic of free will, which we're going to talk about, why in your experience does it generate such controversy or divided opinions? Why do you think that's so? Because I think it speaks to as God loving how can God be loving? So those are big questions that people want answered. They, they can want. you explain more so why? Like, uh, why is why is our freedom of the will have to do with God's love? Because if there's no if there's no free will and we're all just machines, is that a loving God that would do that? Right, just predetermined everything that we're doing and we're going around. Then kind of what's the point? Is he just some sick maniac up there? You know, playing this game. Um, but if he's given us free will and if he's given us choices and he's given us chances and if he's given us opportunities, then that is more more loving and more kind. They would see, you know, right, people would see it, it that mm-hmm. way. Um, also, just having free will in general is nice. You feel like there's freedom in it. You know, like we would say in our country, we have a freedom of, of will. You can go about doing what kind of work you want to do, whatever. You know, you have these choices. You can go to Taco of, John's or not go to Taco John's. Or Taco, Taco Bell, either one. You can turn yeah. left or right. Right. I mean, are whatever you, you saved you... or are you damned? Which yeah. one? Or you can go to Kiku. Yeah, I don't go there. I don't, I don't know. I don't go to Kiki. Maybe people like it. I have no idea. And, and I it's think the sushi place right now. The old Pizza Hut sushi. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And I think going along with that, I think we're products of the Enlightenment, you know, that has affected much of, you know, kind of how people operate. You know, we've been taught for hundreds of years now that we are progressive and, you know, enlightened and all that stuff. And so there's that there's that kind of uh, frame that we live in, in, in and under. I think so the free will issue has become more of a of a kind of hot topic because of that, you know. Have you guys had conversations with people about 
this or I mean an issue, you know, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. issue before. Yeah. Oh yeah. How have those conversations? Like, I guess maybe one question could be, um, how have those conversations gone? But then, are there certain passages of scripture, um, that you often find come up in those talks or? Yeah, I mean, you'll see Genesis, you'll see with Adam and Eve choosing to partake of the tree that they were not supposed to partake of. Uh, You see Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Mm -hmm. You see uh, um, Jacob and Esau, right, where God is choosing there. Malachi. Yeah, and Malachi. You see um, uh, John 3.16 come up, whosoever, right, that, that... Shows like free will, right? Mm. Um, First Peter, the first couple chapter or verses of First Peter, will come up when it says, "According to the foreknowledge Mm -hmm. of God, will come up." Yeah, Romans eight. Yeah, Joshua, choose this day to whom you will serve. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those are interesting. Pass. It's an interesting um, assortment of passages that you guys brought up. Um, some of those are commands that we are. Uh, so they're the imperative, like what Dave just said, choose this day whom you will serve. But then, uh, was it you, Scott, that brought up John 3.16? No. Or was it Tim? Tim? Um, which is not a command to believe, but it's a statement that whoever does believe. Mm-hmm. And there is the assumption, I'm assuming, that if God tells me that whoever believes, then that means everyone has the ability to respond favorably Mm -hmm. on their own strength to that message. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are, it's interesting that we've got a, a a, a wide variety of of even passages that were mentioned there Mm -hmm. that people will go to um, on any side of this issue to try to argue biblically for one perspective um, or the other. Okay. So, let me ask you this. Do we as human beings have a will? And what does it mean to have a will if we have one? Do we have a will, first of all? Yes. Yes. So we have the... We're different than the animal kingdom in that right. sense. Right. So we have the power, the ability, the capacity to choose, to determine, to decide, to wish something right um that's what it means to have a will right is to have that ability to um i elect to do this and i don't elect to do that right i choose whatever i want to do um i vote for this and i vote for that right um so we do have a will but the thing that is interesting that luther in these these particularly the first two theses, he specifically says after the fall. And this is really the crux of where the issue, the battle of where we've got to really understand um, where the controversy's at. None, I don't think any of us are having a discussion about what was, we could have that discussion about what was possible before the fall into sin. The discussion about free will happens after the fall into sin. So, Here's a question. Did the fall into sin, did our fall into sin impact our wills at all? Yeah. 
I mean, Pelagius would argue, argue no. <laughs> right. He would Pelagius say, was... Pelagius was... He believed that the, the intellect or our, our mind, our conscious, you know, our, our the, what we would call like the upper part of us was unaffected mm-hmm. by the law. Therefore, we could make choices for good right. or evil. Pelagi- um, Pelagius was a, a monk in the... Yes, okay. What, That's the what you meant. Fifth century. Yeah, he debated against 400s. Augustine. Yes. Or Augustine debated against yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 400. Yeah. Yeah. And he basically said that every child comes into this world as sinless as Adam. Mm-hmm. So there's not even. He was, he was radical. Now, most Christians yeah. today would, would, would not take Pelagius. They would yeah. be Half somewhere in between. Right. Yeah. So, um, what are some ways that our will is impacted if it is impacted by the fall then? I mean, our, yeah. So, our, so what does that mean, though, for our will? Our reasoning is yeah. skewed yeah. for our choosing ability. Corrupted. Yeah. Our desires are yeah. also corrupted because it's not perfect desire as it was before the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our sin nature, mm-hmm. it, it corrupts it to where I, I feel like like we see dimly, Paul. I can't see perfectly yeah. clear because of my, because of my sin. I, I struggle mm-hmm. uh, with it. So. Yeah. So one of the things I, I um, a passage of scripture that I think is is helpful here is the idea of and is in Romans chapter eight where Paul talks about what the contrast between living in the flesh versus living in the spirit and whenever he contrasts flesh and spirit Paul we often think that flesh and spirit like flesh refers to my physical makeup and spirit refers to the Holy Spirit or some kind of invisible spiritual side of me. But actually when Paul talks about the contrast between flesh and spirit uh, in Romans 8, he's contrasting um, flesh means mankind in our totality, our body, soul, everything, Mm -hmm. apart from God in our sin. So if you're in the flesh, this is what you can do, and this is who you are. Um, in an unsaved state, mm-hmm. so to speak. But to be in the Spirit is to be born again, to have the Spirit of God, to be a believer. So Paul says this uh, in Romans chapter 5. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, that's those who are um, in the flesh, those who are unsaved, those who are not believers in Christ, those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. Mm-hmm. So their minds apart from Christ and our wills, this is part of our wills discussion too. Our wills are set, focused, devoted to, um, clinging to the things of the flesh, things of sin, the things of this world, this fallen world in particular. Second of all, Paul says this to set the mind on the flesh. So if we've set our minds on the things of the flesh and we're in the flesh to set the mind on the flesh is death. So if we are setting our minds on all of those things, we're choosing those things. We are wanting those things that leads to death. Thirdly, then he says the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Mm-hmm. So if you are in the flesh and if your will is after the fall, your will is impacted to where you don't decide for God at all. Paul says to be in the flesh is not simply to be neutral to God. It is to be an enemy of God, to be hostile to him, to be opposed to God. Your will and God's will are opposed to each other. You never submit 
to God's will or God's righteousness. You oppose it. In fact, Paul continues and says, the mind that is set on the flesh does not submit to God's law, so it doesn't submit to God's law. And then he concludes and says, indeed, it cannot. The will of someone who is in the flesh, according to the to Paul, not only does not submit to God's law, it is impossible. It doesn't even have the power to submit to God's law. And I think that the, that series of verses right there, Romans 8, 5 through 8, are pretty helpful. Um, and you could go the other side and talk about what it is to live in the spirit. But to live in the flesh, which is to live in a, a world um, where we are fallen into sin and we're not yet born again, that is what our wills desire, the things of the flesh. Our mind is set on the things of the flesh. We're hostile to God with all of our choices, with all of our desires, with all of our wishes, with all of our wants. And it is impossible. Not only do we not submit to God's law, we cannot. Now that's Paul saying that. I think that's pretty clear, and that's just one passage. There's tons of passages like this that we could go through, and I think that shows a pretty devastating effect upon the will of mankind um, in, in our hearts. Let me read a, a little section here from Donovan Riley and, uh, about these theses, and then I'll ask for you guys' input here. He says this, Do what is in you. It was a popular late medieval doctrine. If we were to translate the Latin phrase into modern English, it would be rendered as just do your best. And what else can God expect from each Christian than that we do our best? Do our best with his grace. Do our best to live a life that follows Jesus' example of holiness. Do our best to live a life of integrity and virtue. The thing is, the more we try to do our best, the worse it goes for us. We jump out of the frying pan of worrying that we have done our best and into the fire of God's wrath. When we do our best, we imagine that is the purpose and goal of free will. Why else would God give us commands, for example, if he did not intend for us to do our best to obey them? But here, in Thesis 13, Luther undercuts that whole argument. It turns out what feels like free will is actually God's wrath. He gives us over to the desires of our heart, as St. Paul says in Romans 1, 24. So what ends up happening is that instead of just doing our best and earning God's grace and favor, we in fact commit a mortal sin. This is the definition of our bondage to sin. What do you guys make of Riley's argument here that what feels like free will, he's talking specifically about Romans chapter 1, verse 24, what feels like free will where he's quoting that God hands us over to our own desires is actually God's wrath. I think I agree with what he's saying, but I also am a little confused about what he's saying. Because in the first paragraph that you read, he says, and what else can God expect from each Christian than that we do our best? Well, by definition, a person who is a Christian is a person who is trusting in Christ for their salvation. And then later on when he's saying, so what ends up happening is that instead of just doing our best and earning God's grace in favor, well, that by definition is not a Christian. I'm assuming what he, I could be wrong about this, but I think he's talking about it from medieval doctrine, because this was a phrase that was told to Christians. Whenever you would come to the priest and you would say, well, um, 
how do I know that God will get into heaven? They would tell you, but do your best. Do what's within you. And so I think that sure. could potentially be what he's, okay. what else can God expect from a Christian that we do our best? Yeah, so that could potentially be what he's talking yeah, about. If that's what he's talking about under that understanding, then yeah, well, I think under that system, you've lost the gospel. Of course, yeah. Uh, you are, you're no longer believing the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I that's what I have to say. So do you feel like, though, that's pretty simple. That's really good. You know, it's like if that's, if that's what you think it is to be a Christian, then. So eloquent. Yeah. Wow. So That's why we need that's the That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> hey, when it's. Mama always said. it's clear, it's clear, man. My mama always said. Ma- yeah. <laughs> right? Scott, Scott was watching the Alabama football game. was I on TV. I turned that crap off. <laughs> Roll Tide. They won. They won. Did you see the uh, the outfit I told Tim I wanted to wear for a trunk or treat? No. I vetoed it. I used executive power to veto it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't sign the PO. <laughs> oh, my word. Is that going to be you and Alicia? No way. No, it's oh. not. Come Would on. she do that? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, She's no. probably got the jersey tucked away somewhere. Are you serious? You're not going to let Scott do that? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Everybody's going to want to see it now. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, I mean, but you I, do have free will to do that, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. It's in bondage. <laughs> so, Paul, I have he's. free will to spray you with the hose. But <laughs> 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 he's quoting from Romans 124, which says, uh, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And so what Paul seems to be saying is, is in whenever we fell from sin and we exchanged the glory of uh, the, for the immortal God for images, God says, all right, have your free will. That's a sense in what, whenever he hands you over to your own desires, that's kind of the point he's getting at is what feels like freedom. Okay. Your will be done. Mm -hmm is actually God's wrath at that moment. Because this is a sign of God's wrath when he hands you over to yeah. your own desires and free will, I've right? I've seen this uh, play out, sadly. Not not like in these huge sins that we would think of, but I've, I've seen it where people, you know, you talk to them and they would say that they believe in God, and they, uh, but then their concept of God is not necessarily a biblical concept. They're not involved in church. They're not going to be involved in church, but... You know, I just I try to do good things. I, I try to help with charity, or I try to help at the school, or you know, they have these different things. And and sadly, yeah, you just see it's like you're so you're so lost in your sin that you think what you're doing is good, but it's it's actually not. It's not it's not good at all. And in your free will, you know, you like you're saying, Spencer, <clears throat> you feel you have this freedom to express yourself in this way. And yes, God is allowing you to do this, but it's. Uh, it's damning is what it is. Yeah. I think know? I think maybe like an example of that kind of giving over to sin on God's part as an act of his wrath is maybe similar to not a maybe a one to one corollary, but similar to like a parent that has a, uh, a, a maybe an adult child who has a drug addiction and is dealing with that. And the parent has tried as much as they can to kind of reel them back in to try to limit that and help them through that and restrict maybe access to money or a vehicle or where they're living or something to help them in that. But sadly, a lot of times it gets to a point where you just kind of have to let them go mm-hmm. and like just let them go into their sin. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to do that, but it's I mean that seems kind of like what's happening there. Maybe like yeah. does that make sense? No, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. I think the verbs I'm looking here through. Um, about what we do in our um, 
in our free will, Paul says, we're without excuse. He says, we do not honor him. We do not give thanks to him. Our thinking is futile. Our hearts are darkened. Our foolish hearts are darkened. We claim to be wise. We become fools. We exchange the glory of uh, God for, for idols. And so God gives us up to our own hearts to dishonoring our bodies. And he says, then in verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So what we think of is, and I know no one's arguing for this, but what Paul seems to be saying here is it's a sign of God's wrath when he hands you over to your free will to what you want to do, because in your heart, you remember, we talked about the flesh, you're hostile to God, your mind is set on the things of the flesh, your mind cannot and will not submit to God's law. And so in God's judgment and wrath, he hands you over to your own perverted thinking and desires and decision-making and choices. Um, That is a sign of God's, God's wrath. Another passage that um, Luther talks about in his uh, one of his theses here, but um, is John eight, and Jesus talks about the fact that we are sl- it, the person who commits sin is a slave to sin. What does that mean? What does Jesus mean whenever he says we are slaves to sin? Well, I think it's interesting too if you study like <clears throat> Paul's in his letters, he uses the Greek word doulos a lot. Um, the idea of slave, which is basically a bond servant, you know, because in that day and age, you know, oftentimes people were, they belonged to their master. They were under the authority and the sub- subjection of that person above. And so that's what I, what I think the idea is, is, you know, the Jews understood that very clearly, you know, coming under Roman or being under Roman oppression, that they are slaves because you give you're 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 not only partaking in this, but you are actually owned by this. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you're Jesus under the will, control of yeah, somebody else. Jesus says, "The you know the, the devil is your father because he's the father of all lies, and you've bought into the lies. So you right. therefore are subjected to that. You're under that." Mm-hmm. It seems like yeah. a, a um, what's the word? It's like you 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 think you are the one choosing this. Yeah. When actually you're the, you're being controlled by this, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like there's try, a, there's try a way it. to test this out. Right? Yeah, I know what you're gonna say. Yeah. What? Go no, go ahead. You try, try to stop doing. Yeah, try X. to stop. Yeah, don't sin. Yeah, try to stop. And See then when you can't, can you're gonna realize you're a slave to it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 mm-hmm. impossible. Mm-hmm. Yep. it's impossible. Right. You know, and that's what he's saying there. That's yeah. That's where redemption comes into play and all this stuff. Yeah, and what's interesting, you might go there in a second, and I don't want to bust your bubble here. Bust it, but okay, do it, <laughs> do it, do it. But um, you know, the idea of salvation, the idea of you know rescue, of justification—it's all the verbs are often used in the passive tense, you know, as a passive uh, uh, voice there, because it's not us doing the act, the action of being saved. We're not saving our, we're not the ones that act to get saved. We are the passive recipients. Yeah. And the same you could argue for sin. We are the passive recipients of what something else is, has power over yeah, that's us. That's right. That's right. So the contrast is really clear. Yeah, so we can't... If you were a slave, unless you were able to save money in the whole, in the biblical times, you could potentially buy yourself out of slavery. But um, we know that we cannot escape this slavery to sin yeah. in our own strength. There's no money we could buy 
pay to get out of this slavery. There's not enough good works that we could do, or we can't change our hearts or change our slave status. It is impossible. We are under the control and the governorship of sin, the tyranny of sin. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter Mm 6, that we are under sin until we're under Christ. Luther, in uh, his famous book, The Bondage of the Will, I think it's there that he talks about basically... The way our free will, our will is basically like a donkey, and it's either going to be ridden by the devil or by God. <laughs> and that's that's really um, so. And and that's what we're getting at. Your your will mm-hmm. is either going to be under the tyranny of sin mm-hmm. or under the freedom and the liberty of the Father in the yeah. Son by the Spirit. Yeah. But now here's the thing: someone will say to us, they'll say. Um, but how can this be? Because I have free will. Because like today, we went to Taco John's. And somebody will say, I can choose to go to Taco John's or to Taco Bell or not go to either or go to both. Or I can choose. I choose and decide whether or not I shop at Walmart or Meyer, Or I decide which bank to use or which car to buy, whatever. How can you say that my will is enslaved there? Do you guys think there's a difference um, that we should distinction, we should make between things that we choose in our in our will in regards to things on this horizontal level versus the, our will in regards to God and before him. Is there a distinction we should make between that? Explain again. Say again. I'll give you the answer. No. <laughs> Is there a difference? Should we make a distinction between our ability to choose, for instance, which restaurant we go to? which store we shop at versus our freedom of will before God. Is there a distinction we should make on these hor- so so to speak yes. right our will on our horizontal level versus Absolutely. on the yeah. Why would you say so Dave? Well because these are <clears throat> these des- I mean we all have desires or wishes, you know, like even the Greek word they I forgot what the word is. Anyway, um, the desire is often used, you know, um in in the New Testament. And so because we're we're under Christ. We have freedom. There is, as you mentioned earlier in the last podcast, you know, there's, you know, there's, um, there's freedom in Christ. Uh, can't remember the passage now. For it's freedom that we've been set free. Oh, Galatians five. Yes, Galatians five. Thank yeah. you. And so, because we're under the big, if you will, big umbrella of God's grace, Paul says in in, in Romans five, we're under grace. Um, we can make choices that are on the smaller level of like, hmm, I feel like eating this today versus that. It's not, it's not a means of of anything to do with like our salvation, our justification, big deliverance. It's smaller, minute desires, if you will. Yeah, I think I'm not explaining. That no, well, I think yeah. you're. No, it's good. Um, I think Luther will sometimes say like, "What is beneath us." So, like, for instance, whether or not we go to Taco Bell or Taco John's, yeah, you retain your freedom of will there. Mm-hmm. But before God, and as far as salvation is concerned, and, and your hostility towards God that those who are in the flesh have, he would say, you can't change your will in regards to those things. Yeah. So you do have freedom of the will, whether or not you like Coke or Pepsi on these levels. But before God, and as regards your standing before him and your relationship to sin and your relationship to forgiveness and all those other things, those are things that you can't change. Mm. You ultimately um, uh, 
are going to be either a slave to sin or a, a son of God. Yeah. You're going to be either either or. I think that's why Augustine said, you know, this has been this has been misinterpreted. But love God and then do whatever you want. <laughs> no, that's a great quote <laughs> because yeah. Luther and Calvin both sat under the feet of Augustine, or sat at the feet of Augustine. You know, and Augustine understood the bondage of the will. But that's what he's saying. You you are in Christ, and your desires and delights are in him. In him. Delight yourself in the Lord; He will give you the desires of your heart. So love Him and then do what you want. Right. Eat what you want. That's right. <laughs> Right. Listen to whatever music you want. You know, right, right. Right. No, that's good. That's really good. I love that quote. So lastly, if I am a slave to sin and I, in relation to God, all my decisions are sin. That's what Luther is getting at, right? So if I am a slave to sin um, in so far as I do the best I can because my, my flesh and my will is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. That means everything that I do um, of, out of my own free will, apart from Christ, apart from Christ, is only evil. Because my mind is set on the flesh and is hostile to God and does not submit to God's law. Um, what is the only way for us to be set free from all of this? I got this is a softball answer. I got distracted. Guys. Softball I got answer. Distracted. Beach ball answer, right? Really? I mean, come on. Jesus. For, for <laughs> us to belong answer? to Jesus. Right. For our will to be under his. We're talking about the gospel, Tim. I Thank you for being on your phone. No, no, you didn't get That's distracted. Where, you, you, your will chose to do that. We were, okay, we were guys, in this one. Guys, 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 guys. This is getting a little contentious now. Uh, this is where the picture of redemption and of salvation is really helpful. Being bought, yeah. Yeah. being taken back, of being mm-hmm. redeemed. Um, is helpful because we we understand like that that really is true, right? Like you really have been set free. Yeah, you know um, that you've you've been set free from this law. Yep, of, of sin. And Luther talks about active and passiveness, right? He says that we only have an ability to do good in a passive way, not in an active way anymore. So we can receive, but we cannot actively do anything good out of our own strength. Mm-hmm. And so this is really where it gets to the point that salvation, when it comes to how we're accepted before God, redeemed, adopted, even at a certain level, there's um, we we would there's a term sometimes called definitive sanctification, where um, we are we are made holy because of the blood of Christ, and then we live holy lives out of that. Um, all of those things are passive gifts that we receive mm-hmm. that are given to us that we suffer to have done to us, but we don't do ourselves. So, for instance, the slave is passive in being redeemed or bought back and set free. Um, the dead are passive in being raised from the dead, and the guilty are passive in being declared righteous. Whenever you and I, as Christians, are raised from the dead, you will not be the one raising yourself from the dead. Mm-hmm. You will be raised by someone else keeping his promise to you to raise you from the dead. Whenever you die, if the Lord doesn't, if the Lord tarries and, uh, and you die and the minute that you die, the Lord's promise is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're not the one fulfilling that promise. He's taking you to be with him. It's all his action. And you're the passive recipient of that. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing is true as well. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were hostile to him, while we were his enemies, when we did not ask for him, he comes anyway and gives us everything. 
And that is the wonderful news of the gospel, that we do not set ourselves free by doing what is in us, but we are set free because Jesus loved us and did everything for us in our place. And um, <clears throat> that's, what, that's, that's what the gospel message is all about. Um, Luther, in the front of his Galatians commentary, has an introduction and he makes these distinct, he talks about, there's the act of righteousness, talking about all that we do, all that we accomplish, maybe good, maybe bad, whatever. But he says, then there's the Christian righteousness, the passive righteousness, where we receive everything. And he'll at the end say, at the, he's kind of, be, he's being hyper, you know, typical Luther, hype, using hyperbole. But he says, this is, this is our theology. This is it. The distinction between the active and the passive. We just receive everything from God, and He does everything for us, and um, that's what that's what is the standing for our salvation, and that's ultimately what sets us free is the gift, the promise. Mm-hmm. And one thing I like really like about Luther is he really loved and studied Greek, and he really understood those verbs. Oh yeah, very clearly, and he would very much recommend, you know, that, that pastors, people that teach the word, would learn. The, the participle are the how to how to parse the verbs yeah. in Greek so they understand truly the gift that we have yeah. in salvation. So he was a fun guy. He was fun. I'm actually thinking about naming my um, garage. I want to get a sign. Um, his house was called the Black Cloister. She called Little Leroy's. <laughs> LL for short. <laughs> the Black Cloister was was Luther's house. It was the the cloister for the Augustinian monks that became his house. And I want to name my garage that so that whenever I have people over to hang out, they can come to the cloister. Yeah. Go for it. Be kind of cool. You think so too? Make him wear black too. It's awesome. Man. Tim's choosing to not participate right now. That is awesome. Uh, I like the cloister. Yeah. Wear black. I like little Leroy's better. <laughs> little Leroy's. <laughs> if you had to wear black, Johnny Cash would have put But you got to have snacks. Hey. The man in black. The man in black. The Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree. <laughs> they got some good snacks. Are you serious? Yeah, they do. They do. Dollar Tree does. He's a Dollar General guy. That's much more. (laughs) Hey, did your wife show you that I I tried that cheese that you liked from Aldi? Yeah, you liked it, right? It's very good. It is very good. It's good. We shop at Aldi's, man. And I did my can return recently, and they did exactly what you did. It's awesome. (laughs) They're like, just count them. Talk about pressure on you, though, to make sure you don't get anything wrong. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? We're set free. I hate There's that. No law. Like, I got my kids sitting there counting with me, and I'm like, I hope we got all this. Oh, right. I don't trust my kids to count. <laughs> no way. I haven't returned One. a can. And- but it's it's Years. awesome there because there's the people don't return cans there. There's no line. Yeah. And at Aldi, mm. their machine is broken. Well, they're all going to go there now. Their machine <laughs> is broken, and so you don't have to sit there and insert can after can. So it's a lot faster. They just say, keep count, tell us how much. Yeah. It's awesome. Nice. Yeah. So go to all these. I've got a lot that I need to return. You're free. All right. All right. Thanks for listening to this. Take care. God bless.